Good evening, good evening. Welcome to Quietly Queen with yours truly. It is, oh, what time is it? 7.01 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. So wherever you are in the world, thank you so much for tuning in. On this evening's guest episode, I have a lovely young lady joining me by the name of Andrea Porcaro with No Anxiety Prep who will be sharing what that is all about. So thank you so much for joining me on Quietly Queen and welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Yes, I am happy to be here. My name is Nikki Porcaro. I am the president and founder of No Anxiety Prep and we just celebrated our 10th anniversary this year. So yay, women owned business. I have had uh, 15 years in education as a teacher, tutor, college professor, curriculum writer, trainer, and business owner. And since I work in education, a lot of people have asked about my background. I have my undergraduate degree in uh, broadcast journalism and sociology from the University of Maryland, go Terps. I received my first master's degree, uh, master's of science in education from Purdue. And I just graduated this year with my second master's in English from Harvard. Excellent. All right, so thank you so much for sharing that. Now, I want to go ahead and just dive right in. Um, What were some of the pivotal moments in your academic career um, that you think contributed to your dedication in providing the solutions for exam preparation? So I'm a first generation college student and I knew education was my way out of a dysfunctional household. We believe at NAP that education should be for all. So we try to provide that. Uh, From an early age, it's no real big secret. I tell my students, I read, read, read. Anything I can get my hands on. (laughs) Books, magazine, the backs of cereal boxes. I just, I read, read, read. Uh, Based on that, I was reading at a college level by age eight and I took the SATs for the first time in seventh grade and um, achieved a score above the 50th percentile for high school juniors. I loved school. I loved to play it. I loved to make worksheets. Um, I had a really influential English teacher in high school named Mr. Dodge. He really supported me both in the classroom and out of it because he kind of knew what was going on in my home life. So really helped me there. In college, when I switched my major to journalism, I realized that I, I loved sharing news and instructing as well as critically dissecting sources and ideas. So even though I'm no longer in the journalism world, I believe that my experience in it and what I've pulled from it are super valuable to education. Absolutely. And I took part-time job after college tutoring for Kaplan, I realized I was really good at it. And then NAP grew after my five years there. Okay, awesome. Now I wanted to know um, from your perspective, uh, what methods do you employ that set your brand apart from the average tutoring or studying session through uh, No Anxiety Prep? Great question. So First and foremost, we are a strategies-based program, which means we teach our students to adopt an effective paradigm of thought to conquer tests. We don't teach to the test. Our strategies are academic in nature. They promote active reading skills, synthesis, thinking flexibly about how to best approach a problem based on content and context. We teach math strategies. Two examples are variable to number and working backwards that essentially help students avoid complicated algebra, which is a fan favorite for most people. So that's not to say don't learn algebra, but we want to give students tools on their tool belts. Right. We're really big, and I think this is another thing that drew me to your podcast, was that we're really big on engagement and dynamism in our tutors. So we really feel that that engagement and building rapport is important. Uh, you can be the smartest person in the world, but if you can't connect with teenagers, uh, you're not much used to me. Absolutely. So. <laughs> 
Yep. So uh, we provide comprehensive materials, flexibility in scheduling, and really just trying to meet families where they are. It's a stressful process, and we want to make sure that it's a one-on-one -on -one situation, not sort of a big box factory feel. Okay, I see that. Wonderful. Now, um, with the level of mentorship that I know that you provide, um, who would you consider to have been or are still your mentors and how and why? Such a good question. I would say I've recently, you know, been teaching, not recently, I for the last year and a half, I have uh, been a college professor at Montgomery College and my department head, Sharon Anthony, has just been absolutely amazing. She's so patient. I was kind of thrown into it a little bit last minute, so I needed a little bit more help with some of the, the training and, and things like that. It was a little bit of a different vibe than working with high schoolers and she has just, she's the most patient human I've ever met oh. and just dedicated and <laughs> wonderful. So she, she's probably my, my mentor right now I think um, you know I it's weird because I'm in that role myself for my yes. students but also still seeking it from other people and I think the the messages that resonate most with me from parents are those from female students they've told me a lot about how much it means for them to see a strong female who is smart and successful and, and doesn't take crap um, I work with a lot of students in the Orthodox Jewish community. Uh, I'm not Jewish, but it's just a big uh, market for us. And a lot of them are a bit sheltered and aren't, are still finding their voices, I guess I would put. So since they're teenagers and developing their self-confidence, often they just need to hear that from someone other than their parents. Oh, okay. Awesome. Now, um, that being said, what challenges um, have you faced with your clients, if any, and how did you overcome those? You know, I think I want to say the majority of our clients are absolutely amazing. I think anyone who's listening who runs a business knows sometimes there's just some people who don't understand how to engage professionally, uh, but that's that's the minority. I think, you know, some people have unreasonable expectations based on their child's work ethic. Okay. You know, high schoolers, we don't just work with high schoolers. We've got lots of grad school students too, but high schoolers' work ethic is still developing for a lot of kids and, and not everybody is cut out for the Ivies and that's great. The Ivies shouldn't be for everybody. I've gone to a public school and I've gone to an Ivy and I think they've got pros and cons to both but you know we need we need buy-in from everyone and we need to work on understanding fit and for some kids you know, I'll give you an example a lot of kids are like I want to study government I want to do you know politics or poli sci and I'm like where do you want to go and they're like Yale and I'm like you live in Washington DC <laughs> so we really want to focus on showing clients that it isn't always about what I call the sweatshirt game which is right. what sweatshirt their kid can wear to school emblazoned with something and really focusing on that fit Okay, that's a good point to make. Um, now, according to your expertise, uh, may you please expound on what you consider to be the top five tips for test taking? Sure. So these are, <laughs> this is the inner workings. This is, this is what I call the Mrs. Frizzle part of the podcast okay. where you just hop into the magic school bus and go into my brain. So yes. this is geared toward a standardized tests. So SAT, ACT, GRE, GMAT. And I have sort of five little rhymes to help you remember. So the first one is, if out of time, stay in a line. And that is a great uh, strategy for tests that do not have wrong answer penalties. And what that means is if you run out of time, pick one letter and bubble down all the way. So if your letter of the day is B, 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 B. Oh. So a higher probability yep, of getting stuff right 
than what we call scattergramming. So don't go all over the place, you know, like, like a weird dartboard. You just want to go down the line, higher probability of getting some guesses. So that's step one. Okay. Step two is don't fidget, pick a digit. So those are when we see math problems that deal with sort of complicated unknowns or variables. And I don't know about you, but uh, my life has enough uncertainty in it. I don't need it in my math problems. Right. <laughs> so we want to teach our students to plug in a real number do the problem as if that were the real number, and then plug that back into the answer choices to match your answer. So really important to make things as concrete as possible. Staying on that math track, uh, our next little tip is stay on track by working back. Okay. <laughs> what that means is on a lot of standardized tests, we have answer choices, which means one of them must be right. So why don't we start with that? Now, these answer choices are usually arranged in uh, ascending or descending order. So let's use that against the test as well. We want to start for the most part with the middle answer choice, because if that middle answer choice is too big, we can eliminate anything that's bigger than too big. <laughs> okay. Same goes with too small. So you're really cutting your answers in half. Now, there is an exception to that rule. If the question asks for the greatest or least possible answer, we would want to start with the greatest or least respectively. But using the answer choices for especially word problems can often demystify some of that complicated algebra I mentioned. And we feel, we feel that a lot of students and adults, to be fair, um, mm -hmm. are scared of algebra. So I don't know if you're Yes, I'm of afraid. Algebra. <laughs> 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 um, all right. So if you annotate, you'll do great. So this is another one on time tests. A lot of people feel that they can cut corners and if they're reading, they, they shouldn't take notes. The time is ticking and we have, we have to read it and get through it. Right. But um, I don't know if you've ever done passive reading, which is when you read a book and you close it and you say, yay, I'm done. And then you're like, what the hell did I just read? <laughs> <laughs> which is frustrating and we don't have time on the test. So we want to make sure that we're using kinesthetic and visual learning, which is physical and, and eye learning. Okay. to take quickly on the main ideas. So great, great skill there. And then finally, for, for the grammar stuff, our tip is grammar report, keep it short. So these tests reward conciseness. That means if you think multiple answers are correct, which is not a thing, but if you think that, you pick the shorter one, okay? The shortest, most correct option is, is the way to go on these tests. So that's kind of just a preview of, of okay. what we work on, but those are some quick tips that if you're taking the uh, ACT in February, which is a month away, you mm -hmm. might want to might use some of those. Okay, those are great ideas and tips, and I would definitely be sharing those with my daughter, so thank you for those. Um, now, what personal advice then would you give to high school seniors preparing for college that you wish that you had received or that you did receive? I think, and this is, I, I don't want to sound, you know, supercilious, like I'm the big sister who knows everything, but I would <laughs> say that what you are absolutely positively 100% sure you want may very likely change. Yes. Um, though I'd give that advice to a lot of adults slash myself too. So I know it's hard to hear, but it does happen to a lot of kids who, you know, their junior year, they're going to just die if they don't go to Vanderbilt. And a year later, they're at Tulane happier than they've ever been, right. for, whether that's financial reasons, admissions reasons, you know, things change. So I would say it's hard, especially in an era of social media and YouTube mm -hmm. and, and pretty much everyone telling you what you should want but be open to that. I would also say to take advantage of study abroad and to take okay. advantage of trying new things in college, even if you aren't sure. Maybe you don't know if you like anime, but there's no harm, no foul to going to the anime club in high school or college to, to see, see what happens and what comes of it. 
Very true. Okay, great. Now, um, this is something that I was curious about. Are there any differences in the difficulty or and or ease in providing assistance to male students in comparison to female students? And then also national compared to international students? And if so, what were they and how did you strategize for a successful outcome? I know it's like a lot. No, <laughs> no it's, it's such a good question to consider demographics because yeah. there's so many studies in education with it. I'm, I'm actually going for my doctorate starting in the fall and my proposed problem of practice is actually examining sort of the differences in learning pedagogy and engagement in mm-hmm. uh, college freshman males of color just because there's such a historically um, underrepresented group in there and statistics are showing that they are struggling a bit more than, okay. than other groups. So examining that problem fascinates me. In terms of our clients, I think I haven't seen any really stark differences as a whole. I think sometimes we see male high school students being a bit more academically immature than the female students, but okay. that's not to say that that females we don't you know come across that as well. You know, I think it really comes down more to a difference in work ethic among each student, not so much their gender. But, you know, we have, I would say, you know, sometimes the students and I would say tips a little more boys are still kind of figuring out the tangibility of what they're doing. Like, why am I doing 10 math problems tonight? Why am I reading this (laughs) passage about Pluto? Because there's still that I don't get college thing. So I would say that's that's something we really work on making things tangible. In terms of national versus international, I would say sometimes there's a slight barrier when it comes to idioms and nuances. English is crazy. I think we can all agree on that. <laughs> yes. um, there's also some different financial and demographic implications. You know, we've worked with students from UAE where the financial uh, situation is a little different than working with students from, um, you know, parts of Italy, right? Okay. But I would say most of our international students who want to go to American schools are either in an American school abroad or they know the requirements and have set themselves up pretty well to to come here because there are, you know, they have to take the TOEFL test of English. They usually have to take an SAT or ACT. So, you know, we we have to do a little bit more on the administrative logistical back end for them. But in terms of the actual essay writing and prep, there's really no difference. Oh, okay. That's great to know. Um, Do you think that the current academic curriculum in schools now provides sufficient preparedness for students? And why or why not? Ah, such a good question. How much time? I think that, and, and let me just sort of back up to why I'm qualified to speak on this. Um, I have taught in Montgomery County Public Schools, which is the 14th largest school system in uh, the country. Okay. I have worked with students here in public schools, private schools, you know, Sidwell Friends, where the Obamas went, uh, you know, Georgetown Prep, another big one. And I've worked with home, I work with the Jewish Homeschool Girls Organization. You know, I've, I've run the gamut. So it's hard to make a, an an overall commentary, I would say that, you know, some trends I'm noticing, many schools are emphasizing quantitative literacy and rhetorical analysis, which I think is helpful. Okay. Um, you know, the common, why do I have to find the hypotenuse of a triangle? <laughs> I'll never use that. Yeah, but I think people sometimes miss the forest for the trees. It's not so much the hypotenuse, it's teaching you the thought process. That being said, I think it's important. Students need to know what fine percents. How do you calculate sales tax? How do you know right. what a mortgage is? All of that, I think, is great. Rhetorical analysis, I think, I couldn't think of anything more important in our society right now, sort of deconstructing arguments, vetting sources. You know, what are you reading? Where is it coming from? Should you believe it? Uh, We all see the situation we're in and why those skills need need some more help. 
Um, I think some some trends I'm seeing that are negative. Uh, there's been a de-emphasis on grammar, which, as a, a former journalist and English, you know, degree collector, the word I would use is repulsive. <laughs> I think that. <laughs> Not that I'm gonna get on my soapbox, but I am that girl who writes letters into ads when I see mistakes in their copy. I'm, I'm the life of every party. Oh, okay. You know, the writing, skills, <laughs> writing skills of incoming college students, they've, they're doing a bunch of studies are, are on the whole quite atrocious. There was a study done by Alliance in 2009 that students taking remedial coursework, meaning not even four credit courses at the college level, cost a billion dollars. Wow. In the country. Yeah, just really scary. And, you know, just I'll talk about the class I just finished an English 101 class at Montgomery College. Uh, out of my 22 students, 10 were able to pass, and that's a C or higher. Oh, wow. Which apparently, from what I've heard, is at quite a high rate. So yay! But the you know the skills that I saw, you know, just I mean I read the first essay I read from someone, and I'm not being sarcastic or rude, but it, I thought it was written by a second grader, and this person was a freshman in college. I I was honestly just shocked. So wow. I think that's. Writing is a huge issue, teaching people how to express their ideas and, and argue for them. I may not agree with your idea, but if you yes. can cogently argue it, I'd be like, ah, well, that's something I hadn't considered. And that's, you know, the, the baseline of, of discourse, right? So Absolutely. how do we solve these problems and, and, and talk about, how do we talk about race and politics and religion and, and these really tough things if we can't do so in a respectful, logical way? For sure in an honest way too with everybody respecting the differences that they know that people would have and to be able to also express their own opinions and really have a stance and not just go with what they think is politically correct or you know like I see that a lot and I'm like eh, you don't really mean that but it's okay <laughs> so yeah, yeah <laughs> I get it and I'm not saying all opinions should be respected like I, I'm not saying I'm listening to the proud boys that's absolutely insane right but how do we talk about critical race theory which is obviously super complicated and, and controversial there's a lot of misinformation going around about it you know how do we how do we teach students to write about that and research that in a way that comes to you know a conclusion you're never going to satisfy everyone right that's the, the hallmark of a good compromise but how do we how do we address our country's you know really troubled history with race without alienating you know people who are are still on the fence of addressing that that's just an example that i'll i'll yes. use right so um i bring this up because i've had you know more students of color than i've ever had in my my college classes than in my my no anxiety prep and done a lot of readings on that i don't know if you're familiar with damon young he's a washington post columnist who writes from an african-american perspective but he did an article on woke and jostles and, right. and nature that was a super interesting argument that we worked on our students and i was actually shocked i think my class was 92 percent people of color. two of them know what woke meant Oh, goodness. <laughs> That's it, interesting. It me. It seems it as if everyone me. knew what that meant, but you just never know. So that's a very interesting point to make. <laughs> so thank you for sharing that. Um, well, I have another question that's a little bit off topic. So I know that you have been a contestant, I think, twice on Jeopardy, which is a show that I've always wanted to go on. I know I'm that lady, but it's fine. And I think that's very awesome. Um, how was that experience and what sort of strategies that you use on the show to try to garner the win? <laughs> sure. 
Yeah, Jeopardy has been a dream since I was seven. It's people ask me how how did I get into it? Um, the old Nintendo console had a Jeopardy game, and I played it so much I memorized the answers. So oh, people wow. would come over and I would hustle them basically because I was seven. They're like, oh, this little seven year old, I'll kick her butt. And they would come, and when the question flashed, I I didn't have to read it because I knew it um, because I memorized it. Oh. So I would hustle people for dollar bills on holidays, you know, just really ethical stuff. And um, you know, about point zero zero one percent or a thousandth of a percent make it every year uh, who take the test so that was that was kind of crazy you know getting on the first time was was just it was during covid and it was three months after alex trebek had died so that was a bit of a right. bummer but oh. um it was it was really 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 interesting um if you watch the episode it's uh, you can google june 25th 2021 okay um it's a, lo- a long story behind it but um we, we don't have time for that but i will say that uh, after dominating the entire game i lost in the last seven seconds in a pretty, oh. pretty heartbreaking <laughs> way which is oh, why i don't gamble don't gamble kids right and just really tricky but i was actually one of only 18 people in history ever to be asked back for the second chance tournament which was this past fall so that was a really cool thing i actually had been asked to be on the chase which is another game show during that time and i had to make the choice to go uh back to jeopardy or do the chase and i, I chose to go back to jeopardy uh, you know it's a great alumni network there's uh, 70 of us in a twitter chat that runs 24 7 365 because we're the only nerds who know what the pressure is like and oh, okay. when the lights are on and everyone's watching you and of course everyone's an armchair quarterback of you know what you do um you know i'll just say that at the level that that to make it pretty much everyone knows 90 percent of the stuff it really is a buzzer game so if you ever watch and you see people's faces not speaking of anyone in particular me yeah. <laughs> um, kind of recording or they're moving um that's usually people doing the buzzer and they're not getting in a fun fact i'll say is that um most people think that people who aren't getting in are late actually and that was my problem the second time um if you buzz in too early you're locked out for a quarter of a second which in jeopardy oh. time is a lifetime so gotcha. if you see people it's not always that they're late sometimes they're they're early but the staff is great there the experience is you know it's really stressful knowing that nine million people are going to watch you and and comment on you i had some really positive comments online and i had some that you know criticized my appearance criticized certain things um i think my favorite one was toxic matriarch who looked like she just got off her shift at wet seal in 2006. oh my god That's my favorite one oh, because wow. thank you so much for recognizing I am the millennial fashion icon of your dreams <laughs> and also that I can wear a jersey poof better than you. Um, so I'd say <laughs> part of my strategy is ignoring trolls. Exactly. And in terms of studying, which I'm sure is what you're really asking about, um, the first time when you get the call, you only have about three weeks notice, which when you're holding down a job in life is not a lot. So I studied for five to eight hours a day. I made it clear to my friends that any hangouts would be just three hours trivia jaunts um, we had maps hung up dry erase markers to mark up those maps flashcards I watched over 500 episodes and kept a notebook of oh right wrong money we built a fake buzzer podium in the living room and used that we had the board game we had the cd-rom we had the trivia cards we went to bar trivia every week uh, I read every book on the topic ever secrets of jeopardy champions prisoner of Trebekistan. I actually reached out to um 
a friend named Bob Harris. He was a super champion in the late nineties. Okay. I read his book. I just cold emailed him. I was like, I don't want anything from you. Your book just changed how I studied. So if anyone's looking for ways to study prisoner of Tribeca stand by Bob Harris, absolutely amazing life changing book. And he wrote back and we have struck up a friendship and we talk every so often and he was really uh, supportive. So I'd say the biggest strategy is that dedication, but also those active learning strategies we teach. Um, it's a lot and to yeah, be I can in imagine. that stamina, it's, you gotta, you know, cut out drinking, make sure you're getting enough sleep. It's, it's intense. Okay. Well, congratulations because not a lot of people can say they've even gotten on there once. So you did it twice. So it's still a great accomplishment. So congratulations for that. And thank you for sharing. Um, was there anything else further that you would like for the listeners to, um, sort of like take away from this episode as far as uh, no anxiety prep, like where they could contact you for services and also connect with you on your social media handles. Yes, I we love just spreading our message. I hope that everyone can tell that I'm really passionate about what I do and we really do believe education is for all and can truly change lives, whatever path you take uh, with that education. So our website is noanxietyprep.com. Our IG handle, easy enough, is knowing at no anxiety prep. Uh, our Facebook is the same, facebook.com slash noanxietyprep. Anyone would like me to, to look me up on LinkedIn. I spell my name a little strangely. My Nikki is N-I-K-K-E-E. Okay. My last name is P-O-R-C-A-R-O. So we'd love you to follow us for tips, trends, tricks, and content. I'm happy to answer questions. And I just want to thank you so much, Queen, for having me on your fantastic podcast. And I, I hope to connect with uh, some of you listeners in real life. And thank you so very much. This was very enjoyable and informative. And I will be checking that out as well. And you know staying connected for your further future projects and so on um if anyone has any questions or feedback for today's episode you already know the drill to leave a voice message or you can also contact me via email and all of andrea's information will be in the description box so thank you once again for joining me tonight on quietly queen and it was awesome talking with you tonight That concludes Quietly Queen. Everybody have a great day.